Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Nate Stone as he begins our new series, The Art of Losing. Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. What's going on, Eastlake? My name is Nate Stone. Uh, Maybe some of you we have interacted at some point we've met. Uh, I started going to Eastlake in my mid-20s. Thirty-six now, so I started going to East Lake over a decade ago, and I started going to East Lake when I was at a, a point in my life where I not only didn't really know who I was, but the gap between who I wanted to be and who I was becoming was just seemingly continuing to widen with every passing day. And so I got to a part in my life where I just I needed a space. I needed a space that I could just process, that I could feel safe, that I could just become. And East Lake was that space for me. I tell people in many ways I grew up at East Lake. It's where I really discovered who I wanted to become and started making actual steps toward doing that. It's where I met my wife. It's where I met a ton of my really close friends. It's where I met the best man in my wedding. And it's where I still continue to cultivate relationships with. And so um, there's this quote this is, I think it's from Ubuntu that says, I am who I am because of who we are. And so if we haven't met, and this is the first time you ever heard my voice or seen my face, thanks for being a part of my story, whether you wanted to or not. And then for those of you that at some point we've interacted, whether it was we served somewhere together or we shared a funny story or uh, just a smile, I just think it's really cool how people just, they become a part of your story, a sentence of your story, even in brief interactions. And so uh, I'm honored to be able to just hang out with you guys today and just to be able to share a little bit of uh, who I am and who I'm continuing to become. Uh, My wife and I, we actually decided to also create a space, much like Eastlake, that allows people to just process and become. I think the the more I learn, the more I realize, one, that I just don't know that much, and two, that I think really, ultimately, all we can really do is create safe spaces for people to process that, you know, advice and whatnot is helpful. But ultimately, what is more important, I think, is just creating spaces where people feel safe, where they can just become. I think we already know the things that we want to be and the people we want to be. And we don't need people to hammer that at us all the time. We just need to be able to do that. And so that's what we do. We have a couple different things we do. We, uh, we lead this community called Bar Church. That is what it sounds like. We have church. We explore spirituality and all that entails. We do community service and invest in our community, and we do it at a bar. And so we do it over drinks and mimosas and beer mosas. And uh, ultimately, we're trying to just, again, create a space where people feel safe. We also own this business called Cathedral that is a space that's really just dedicated to goodness. We donate our profit to charity. We uh, throw events, so we host weddings and birthday parties and corporate events, really a little bit of everything. And then we even now make our own candles. 
uh, which are cool. Uh, if you like candles, they uh, we work with underrepresented youth, and so at least once a week, there's a young man in our space who hand makes each of our candles and then signs them on the back. Um, and in general, we just are interested in creating spaces where people can just be and belong. And so uh, I think that is, in many ways, just an extension of my experience at Eastlake. And so thanks, thanks for letting me share today. Today, I get to talk to you guys about failure, which even in anticipation of like sharing some thoughts today is like when people, when I was telling people, yeah, I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to talk about failure. It does feel kind of weird that that's the talk that I get to share. Uh, I, we left East like to start this things that we we're doing, you know, over five years ago. And uh, this is the first time I've been invited back and I got invited back to talk about failure, which feels a little bit like a sting, but also it just makes sense. This is kind of, it is really just in my wheelhouse. Uh, I didn't, they didn't know this when they asked me, but I actually have a, a note in my phone that literally is a bullet point list of all the pretty significant failures that I've had in my life. And it goes back really far. It goes back to like the first time I really took a risk. When I was 10, 11 years old, I started my own lawn mowing business. Um, I'm not a big guy now, and I wasn't a big guy then. And so I couldn't really actually physically mow lawns. And so I had some hiccups along those lines. And then I had some more like intrinsic hiccups. I, I remember, I still vividly remember, I used to mow this lady named Vicky. I used to mow her lawn uh, every week. I'd edge it, I'd mow it. I had multiple lawns at this point that I mowed. And I had people and friends that also worked for me because I didn't have the capacity to mow the lawns. And so things were going pretty well. Uh, and I got comfortable. and. I just didn't show up for a couple weeks to Vicky's house. And then one day I rolled up with my lawnmower and my trimmer and her lawn was just mowed. Just, somebody just replaced me because I didn't pursue it. And so it was the first like real taste of like, oh, this is what it's like to really fail. And then the rest of the list is, is pretty long, honestly. I mean, even like we actually, this is the second time we recorded this message because the first time we failed at it. And the list is, uh, is pretty extensive, my list of failures. And I, I wouldn't say I like it. I still don't like falling short. I still don't like failing. I still don't like what it feels like to not win. But I will say at 36, I feel like I'm finally getting comfortable with failure, if that makes sense. Um, the header to my notes, actually, on that, like, Chronicles of Failure in my Apple Notes says, uh, failure has no substitute teacher, which sounds a little bit melodramatic, but if you know me, you know that's kind of my thing. I'm a little bit dramatic. But failure, to me, at this point, it's more of a skill that I've built up, which sounds really odd, but it's something that I've learned how to do well because I've done it a lot. And at this point, it doesn't feel like I didn't win, it feels like I continue to build up this skill uh, of failing. And I would even argue, and I'm going to over our time today, that the world needs you to be more comfortable with failure. The world needs you actually to fail, and needs you to fail somewhat regularly. Um, in my mind, I'm sure there's more, but in my mind there's three primary functions of failure that uh, I'm going to share today that I think failure and failure alone does well for us. The first is personal growth for personal gain. The second is personal growth for interpersonal gain. And the last is personal growth for collective good. Uh, and none of those are super catchy, and I get that. And so I'm going to do my best job to explain what those mean to me and I think how they flesh themselves out for us and our own lives. Um, each is beneficial, and each is really critical. Um, I spent a decent amount of my late teens and 20s seeing failure as something that other people 
placed upon me and not taking any personal accountability. And each of those examples of personal failure will require you to take some personal accountability. Um, even if you are right, you aren't right 100% of the time. And so anytime you feel like you failed, whether it's you lost a job or whatever it is, uh, you will need to take some personal accountability if you want to grow from it. Um, let's first talk about failure as a means of personal good and growth. So this is predominantly, I would argue, the like American view of failure. Uh, it's the rite of passage for personal glory. This is the MJ, the Michael Jordan model. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Um, and uh, there's some health in this. This is how we grow in really any category, whether it's basketball or public speaking or working out or being a parent or being a partner. We do have to take risks and fail multiple times in order to get good at really anything. Um, all of those things we need to fail at in order to get good in. That's just the way we work. There are, I would argue, a few problems with viewing failure predominantly in this way. The first is, for every MJ, there's a million kids who can't make the high school basketball team. Um, and it doesn't matter how many shots they take or how many drills they run. Some kids, like me, are 5'8"-ish uh, and can't jump and aren't very fast. And so it doesn't matter how many shots I take and how many drills I practice. I'll, I'll never make it to the NBA. And when we view failure as predominantly this way to succeed... When we don't, it becomes our identity or something is wrong with us. So instead of failing at a thing, we identify ourselves as failures. Um, and each time, it almost feels like a personal attack when you fail, if you treat failure predominantly as an opportunity for personal growth, for personal gain. You start telling yourself, you don't have what it takes. You couldn't measure up. Um, you don't have the ability, which might be true, but you start to identify as a failure instead of viewing a thing as, as something that you just failed at. I also think, second, even if you can avoid that pitfall of beginning to identify personally as a failure, um, it's ultimately just self-serving in many ways. It primarily benefits you, and there's nothing inherently wrong about this. It just isn't particularly compelling. You know, I love MJ. I love watching people excel at their craft, whether it's MJ or um, Simone Biles. That, that's the girl that just did like 18 backflips, right? Like, it's incredible to watch a human be the very best at a thing. It's amazing. But if that's the only view, the only purpose of failure it's primarily self-serving in most capacities, and it just ends up feeling, I would argue, kind of empty at the end of the road. There's two other functions that I mentioned of failure that I think are more interesting, I think that they're more compelling, and I think they also are more beneficial to really ultimately ourselves, but also the world around us. And those two functions are first, personal growth for interpersonal gain, and the main criteria for this is humility. And this one is kind of hard to explain, so bear with me for a minute. I'm even afraid of failing at how I say this, ironically. So I think a really um, a decent example, perhaps for this, is how we talk about things like racism in our country. Um, it requires, especially for someone like me, a white cisgendered male, 
I only know and only ever will know what it's like to be me. So if I am ever to try to understand what it's like to not be me, there's going to be some things that are required of me, and almost all of them require comfortability with failure, humility, a willingness to be wrong, a willingness to say something wrong, a willingness to say something and then be corrected maybe in person or over social media. If you want to grow interpersonally, which I believe benefits the world, you're going to have to get comfortable at failing because you're going to have to be comfortable at, at being corrected. It might be the thing that maybe culturally we're the worst at. There's a lot of things we're not great at, but this is specifically absolutely one of them. And if we can't get comfortable with being corrected, with being wrong, with being humble, with listening, then we'll never be able to know or empathize with people that aren't like us. And if you can't get comfortable and empathize with, then you can't truly be an ally of. And so if we want to grow in this capacity, which I know that this is a community that does, you have to get good at failing. Not because you did something innately wrong, but because you aren't excellent at everything. And you aren't the um, primary resource of knowledge and insight on everything. And if you want to grow and be a part of a community that grows and learns and develops so that you can then be an ally of compassion for everyone, then you got to get really good at this. So that's the first one, personal failure for interpersonal growth. The second one is personal growth for collective good. This one, this one is my, this one is my favorite. Um, here's, a, here's your hard pill to swallow for the day. If you want to do anything that means anything, you are going to have to fail at it first. Whatever it is, if you want to do anything that means a damn, you are going to have to fail at it. Probably a lot. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we want to say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You could go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. Um, everything that's good that's been done to move humanity forward has been preceded by thousands of people who didn't accomplish the actual goal. Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't the first civil rights activist, and I think it's really apparent that he certainly hasn't been the last. 
Harvey Milk wasn't the first LGBTQ rights activist. And I think it's very abundantly clear that he won't be the last and hasn't been the last. Uh, Susan B. Anthony wasn't the first women's right activist, and she certainly hasn't been the last. For every one of those, there have been thousands, millions maybe, of voices, a cacophony of individuals who've contributed to the causes and issues and things they want to do to move the world forward. And they have mostly, mostly not reached the mountaintop. If you want to do anything, anything that's important, that brings justice and wholeness and compassion and goodness, you're going to fail at it. That's just the way things work. The world needs you to fail. And I would even say, I love this line, and I, I don't think I came up with it, um, but I think that oftentimes we think that the world needs our perfection, when ultimately the world doesn't need your perfection, it needs your participation. It needs you to be willing to take chances and risks for the benefit of others. Now here's the great thing about all these things. There's really only one thing you need to do to have, to seek, to be good at all these things in the realm of failure. And that is the simple thing known as courage. And the great thing, maybe the best thing about courage, like most virtues, is that you get to choose it. It's a choice. There's this great line from Game of Thrones, and I might feel like a really hard left, but bear with me for a second. Um, and also, this is a tangent, but if you like reading, I love fiction. Fiction does what nonfiction can't do, and it's, it paints a picture of what the world could be. So this is a piece of that. Ned Stark, RIP. Um, if you haven't seen the show, that's on you. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but he has this quote. His son is experiencing fear, and he asks his dad, as many sons and daughters do and will for the rest of human history, can you still be brave if you're afraid? And the dad, Ned, replies, it's the only time that you can be. It's such a cool quote. I think sometimes we think that bravery is this thing we have absent of fear, but bravery and courage don't exist without it. You actually need to be a little afraid in order to have courage. Courage isn't something we're bestowed or gifted. You don't inherit it. It's not genetic. It's just something that you actively choose all the time. Uh, uh, October 24th, 2015, this is another note I wrote myself. It was, I knew that I wanted to do these things that we're doing. I knew I wanted to take a risk to create these spaces that also allowed people to become and, and made people feel like they could do so. But I was so afraid to take that step. I wrote this note to myself, October 24th, 2015. And I just wrote this. I just wrote, I'm terrified of failing. It's a note that I don't even like to look at. It feels, it feels cowardly, honestly. Because the stakes, they're always relative, but they weren't that high. And yet I felt this, this thing in my gut that said, if you fail, this is who you are. Um, 
it was 12 days before my first kid was born. Um, I have three kids and my oldest uh, was born November 4th. Um, and I had a friend at the time, it might've even been Jason Lewis. And I was telling him how afraid I was. And he said, what would you tell, uh, what would you tell Cleveland? And I knew in the moment, I knew exactly what I would tell her. I knew exactly what I would tell her. Because the best advice you can give someone is the advice you give to the person you love the most. And I knew exactly what I would tell her. I would tell her to be brave, to be bold, to take chances. My wife, Amy, and I, we've worked out and written out our family values. And one of them, our first one that we wrote, is stones are brave. We take risks at potential personal cost for the benefit of others. And we have three kids. Their names are Cleveland, Kennedy, and Maverick. All their names mean something, but their middle names all mean lion. Cleveland's middle name is Arya, little lioness. Kennedy's middle name means Leona, lioness. And Maverick's middle name is Leo, which just means lion. And we gave them these names, not because we think they're badass. We gave them these names because we wanted to be rooted in their identity, this idea of courage, this notion of bravery. We also wanted it rooted in them that part of their identity is that they belong to a pride, both as a family and a larger collective that is part of something bigger and broader and more beautiful than anything that they could be on their own individually. Cleveland is in preschool. And uh, Cleveland is the most like me. She is opinionated and strong-willed. And part of my job as a dad is to not crush that in her, to not tame her, but to encourage her to continue to being wild and opinionated and bold. And when I do that, well, it's when I'm most proud of her. She has a girl in her class um, who's a little bit quieter. And she recently had her, I, I don't know what you call it when you're in preschool, they call it something, like teacher-parent conference, which is so funny with a five-year-old when it's a teacher-parent conference. Um, and she, at the teacher-parent conference, they went over all the normal things. Uh, looks like she can, like, draw straight lines and uh, color some stuff, and she knows her alphabet. But what the teacher told her that I was most proud of, or the teacher told us, was that there's a girl who's a little quieter in her class. And Cleveland consistently brings her into the fold. That when she's sitting by herself, Cleveland goes and pulls her over when she's not feeling like she's a part of the team, Cleveland invites her into it. When they're playing on the playground, Cleveland grabs her hand and makes sure she knows that she's in a space, that she's safe, and where she belongs. And when the teacher told me that, I just was so fucking proud of her. Because it told me that the name we gave her and the things we're teaching her, they're sticking. And that she's choosing consistently and often to be brave, 
to risk failure, relationally, individually. I wear a lot of different hats, and I do a lot of different things, but as I continue to discover who I am and who I'm becoming and really identify the things that I'm built to do, I think I'm identifying that what I'm best at is I'm a cheerleader. That's what I do. I just want to encourage people. I really like the word encourage because it literally just means to add courage, which is really all I think people need. They need to be encouraged. We need to add courage to people's lives so they can take the risks to fail at a lot of different things. And what I want you to hear today, more than anything, is that you got it. You have what it takes. You get to choose to be courageous and brave and all that that entails. You have considered maybe fostering or adopting, but you're afraid you'll fail at it. You can do it. I promise. You want to take this risk that you think might not pay off for you, but will help other people. You can do it. You have a friend who's experienced loss or is grieving, and you're worried that if you sit with them, you're going to say the wrong thing. You'll be fine. Just show up. Just do something. You want to engage with conversations on racism or sexism or genderism or any of the isms, and you're worried about screwing it up. You will. It's fine. Just do it. You have what it takes. The world needs you to fail. The world needs you to get comfortable with it. If you want things to improve, if you want to move the needle, if you want to bring humanity forward, if the verse that you want to contribute to the universe, if you want it to be significant, all you got to be willing to do is fail a little bit. There's this guy, his name's Brian Stevenson. You might have heard of him. He wrote Just Mercy, and there's now a movie if you don't want to read the book. The book's fantastic. Uh, and he founded this organization called the Equal Justice Initiative. And he tells this really cool story. Um, he does a lot of amazing stuff, including trying to abolish the death penalty, reducing uh, minimum or maximum uh, limits or maximum sentencing on uh, certain crimes, a bunch of stuff in the justice system, all really hard work. And he tells this story about sitting at a table with Rosa Parks and some of her peers, and he's just listening. And eventually they come to him and they ask him what he does. And he goes through this long litany and list of things that he's trying to do, these impossible, impossible tasks that he probably won't ever achieve. And the women, they nod and they smile and they lean over and tell him, boy, you're going to be tired, tired, tired. And he says that Rosa leans over. She puts his hand on his hand and she says, and baby, that's why you got to be brave, brave, brave. That's it. You just got to be brave. And the great news is, you get to choose it. Thanks so much for letting me spend time with you, for sacrificing your time, your presence is a gift. And so I hope today, the only thing you heard from me is, you got it. Just be brave. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate. Thank you.